Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up! And call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Charlemagne the God, also known as Leonard McKelvey, is one of the most potent, influential, and authoritative voices in media today. He is the widely coveted, outspoken, thought-provoking co-host of the hottest nationally syndicated radio show in the U.S., The Breakfast Club heard by over four and a half million listeners each week. A New York Times bestselling author, his book entitled Black Privilege and his global bestseller Shook One propelled him to become one of the world's leading voices in the mental health discussion. A true wave maker and media mogul, Charlemagne's production company, See the God World Productions, discovers and advocates for original, emerging talent who resonate with popular culture long before becoming mainstream. A cultural architect and executive producer, Charlemagne is co-host of the popular podcast, Brilliant Idiots. And whether it's political or cultural debates, Charlemagne does not shy away from hard-hitting topics or unlikely guests on his refreshing and unfiltered late-night Comedy Central talk show, Hell of a Week. Here with us to discuss his remarkable career in the entertainment industry, the topic of mental health, as well as talk to us about his Comedy Central late-night show, Hell of a Week, we have our very special guest, Radio Hall of Fame inductee, television personality, and best-selling author, Charlemagne the God. This is the Black Information Network Daily Podcast, and I'm your host, Ramses Ja. So welcome to the show, brother. How you doing? Ramses, peace, King. How are you, sir? I, I'm having a, a busy week, but uh, it's an honor to talk to you. Got all the time in the world blocked off to have this conversation with you, man. A lot going on in your world, too. Yeah, man. Happy to be here. Little, yes, little, under the, little, little under the weather, but I'm okay. Okay, it's all good. Don't worry about it. Um, well, uh, let's start at the beginning. You know, uh, on this show, one of the things we like to do is get a little background on everybody. And for folks that don't know your background, give a little bit about your your upbringing and sort of what led you to to broadcasting. Ooh, broad question. Um, mm-hmm. I'm from Monk's Corner, South Carolina, mm-hmm. a small town in South Carolina, about 30 minutes outside of Charleston. I was actually born in Charleston because at the time, uh, Monk's Corner didn't have uh, hospitals, uh, I believe. So I was born in Charleston, but raised in this small town called Monk's Corner. Um, mother was an English teacher, devout Jehovah's Witness. Grandmother was a Baptist, uh, devout Baptist church member. Um, my father 
was a Jehovah Witness for a while until he got this fellowship and he got into Islam. But my father was also the person who was very hardworking, really good with his hands. You know, he did construction, but he also, you know, uh, had a hand in the street as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, his, 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 his role in the street was everything from distribution of drugs to addiction mm-hmm. of drugs, you know, and alcohol. So uh, it was a lot, a lot of different things going on in my world as a youngster. But um, I was a kid who, you know, both of my parents poured a lot into me. And they were the, especially my dad, he was the do as I say, not as I do type of person. So even when I did, you know, started to, start to get into the streets, I had no reason to. Yeah. Other than other than I was looking for acceptance, you know, other than me being the second oldest and being 10 years, 10 or 12 years apart from my oldest sister and, you know, 10 or 12 years apart from my younger siblings, I was kind of like just in the middle on an island to myself. Mm-hmm. And so I just started, you know, being around uh, the, 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 the wrong, I don't even want to say the wrong crowd. That's, that's, the, that's the term we use all the time, the wrong crowd. But it's like, mm-hmm. nah, that was my environment. Those were the people I was around at the time. Like to them, I might have been, I was, a, I was one of the wrong people too. <laughs> like, sure, know? sure. So I don't want to say the wrong crowd, but just the company I was keeping at the time, you know, wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't doing things that they should have been doing. Basically. That's fair. And that's so fair. I just, you know, I, even though I knew better, that's what I got involved in. And um, basically broadcasting saved my life. And the reason broadcasting saved my life because in 1998, I was 19, 20 years old. And I ended up getting an internship at Z93 Jams. And this is after, you know, various run-ins with the law. And when I got the internship with Z93 Jams, just being in that environment, it was literally like the most productive thing I had ever done with my life. Like just being able to be the person who could drive the radio station vehicle and people see me in the vehicle, it made me feel important. You know what I mean? It made yeah. me feel uh, uh, validated. In a, in, in a way, especially being that, you know, publicly coming from this small town and being so disruptive in school and getting kicked out of two high schools and letting a lot of the adults down that actually believed in me. So when they started seeing me in that radio station vehicle and seeing me having this, uh, you know, connection to the radio station, it just kind of like, you know, it just made me feel good. And that's it. honestly where I stayed. I just stayed in the profession of, bro- the profession of broadcasting. I love it. I love it. It's a, it's a feeling I know uh, quite well myself. Um, but in your case, you've managed to uh, run it all the way up to the top and 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 take it further than anyone I've ever seen. And and speaking of which, you have a new show. Uh, Hell of a week is the name of your Comedy Central late night show with uh, Stephen Colbert as your executive producer. So tell us a bit about the show, um, how it came about, who it's for, and what we can look forward to on the show. Well, you know, I've had a relationship with the uh, Colberts for a long time because mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, his brother, Jeff, was a seventh grade social studies teacher at my middle school, Berkeley Middle School. And everybody, wow. used, to love, everybody used to love uh, Mr. Colbert because Mr. Colbert was just like his brother. I, I mean, I didn't know his brother then, but if you, if you saw, if you, when I think about the things that Mr. Colbert was doing back then in seventh grade, it was a lot like the things that Stephen Colbert does in late night television. Like I remember one time they did an assembly and uh, Mr. Colbert and, and the other teachers all dressed backwards and did crisscross jump, jump <laughs> for, for the school during an assembly. So it was just like, you know, think about all of us little black kids, you know, loving hip hop at the time and seeing all of these white teachers 
performing jump jump. It was like, <laughs> oh, you know. And so um, I went on his show and I told that story. And the question I was asking him was, you know, how come you're Colbert, but he was Colbert? Like, you know, you know, when Hollywood and got fancy and changed the name and, you know, we all we laughed and joked about it. And he was like, I know you're not talking Charlemagne. <laughs> like, you know, we, we we hit it off from there. And like, I've um, I've been on his show like eight or nine times. Yeah, you know, I've, I've seen outside, you outside of the show. You know, him and his wife, every they put me on to. Just a lot of. Dope stuff, like, you know, like I'm on the board of the International African-American Museum in Charleston, South Carolina, you know, uh, based on uh, a lot of their recommendation. You know, I've met like people that are business partners with me and other entrepreneurial ventures uh, Mm -hmm. like cannabis because of, you know, connections through through them. So it's just like, yeah, it's just been, it's been a good, it's been a good time. You know, and then we, we just, I don't even know, man, we just, we just used to build about doing things together. And, you know, I had this uh, idea for a TV show and just was talking about it with, talking about, talking about it with him one time and he thoroughly enjoyed the idea, you know, so okay. made it happen. I like that. So, so what, if, if I'm, if I'm tuning in for the first time, what can I expect on the show? Um, community conversation. Mm-hmm. That's what I think was missing from the show last year. Last year, I, I personally was trying something new, meaning that, you know, you see how Jon Stewart or Trevor Noah would approach their show, and it's just like they are one-man army. It's just them, right. you know, uh, communicating their thoughts to people. And I mean, even though they have their correspondence, but for me, I, I thrive with community conversation. I like talking to people. You know, I'm not yeah. an expert at anything. You know, right. I have some experiences, and I like building with people that are way smarter than me about situations. And I like presenting, you know, certain ideas and concepts to people and just discussing it. So for me, it's just just community conversation. And I think that, you know, I bring panels together that you probably wouldn't see anywhere else. And that's something I got to credit to my mom. And the reason I credit that to to my mom, because she was an English teacher. And she would always tell me when I was young to read things that don't pertain to me. So being that I, I would read things outside of what you would think a young black kid from South Carolina would be reading. So mm. you know, not only was I reading, you know, the autobiography of Malcolm X and message to the black man by Elijah Muhammad, because th- that's the first book my father ever gave me was the autobiography of Malcolm X. And he's always referencing Elijah Muhammad, which made me go read message to the black man. But I was reading stuff like that. But I was also reading all of the literature from the kingdom hall, you know, and I was also reading a lot of Judy Bloom and Beverly Clearly, because when my mom said, read things that don't pertain to you, I would go into the library and see these books about these little white boys and girls and eat, eat those up, you know? Mm-hmm. So that show, that right there is what led me to always just constantly pay attention to what's going on in a bunch of different worlds. And, you know, I've, I've, I've been able to have a lot of different connections with a lot of different people. So that's why I can have a panel where it's like Brandon Marshall and Marianne Williamson and Sam J, the comic on one panel, you know, um, our, our, uh, this week we had uh, Tiffany Cross, you know, uh, Tiffany D. Cross from, well, formerly of MSNBC now, and uh, Donnell Rawlings and uh, Joe, uh, uh, I'm blanking on Joe's last name, Coscarelli uh, at the New York Times. Like, I can bring those different worlds together because, you know, I'm all, I'm, I dabble in all of those different worlds. Sure, sure. 
We are here today with our very special guest, Radio Hall of Fame inductee, television personality, and best-selling author, Charlemagne the God, discussing his remarkable career in the entertainment industry, mental health in the Black community, as well as his Comedy Central late-night show, Hell of a Week. Okay, well, let's talk about uh, Brilliant Idiots, too. Um, so that's, uh, obviously, that's a huge hit. Uh, but for those who aren't familiar, let us know about uh, Brilliant Idiots as well. Brilliant Idiots, man. We've been doing Brilliant Idiots for about nine years now. Uh, that came about because one of, my, one of my partners named Chris Moreau, you know, Chris is my guy. We do a lot of work together. You know, he's the, he's the co-writer on, on both my books, Black Privilege, as well as Shilkorn. And, um... Uh, I was a part owner of the Loudspeaker Network with him and Combat Jack uh, back in the day. And there was two things that Chris was always telling me to do. I mean, we, we started Breakfast Club in 2010. So from about 2011, 2012, 2013, Chris kept telling me, you need to do a podcast and you need to write a book. You need mm -hmm. to do a podcast, you need to write a book. And I always felt like it was a little bit too early for a book. That's something I always wanted to do. I was very arrogant when it came to the podcast, though, because I was like, why would I be doing a podcast when I got my own morning show here in New York City? Like, right. you know, what, what would I need a podcast for? Like, that was, that was my arrogance, you know, mm -hmm. talking. And um, luckily, I listened, because I was like, it can't hurt to try. And um, we did. And, and I was like, you know, the co-host I wanted, I wanted a co-host, and I knew I even wanted my man Andrew Schultz uh, or another individual but Andrew was in New York, so it just made sense to have uh, Andrew. Because I wanted to pair with a woman at first. It was me. It was going to be me and another a, a woman. And, um, but Andrew was already in New York. And Andrew is somebody that is a friend of mine who I feel like is, not feel like, he is hilarious. He's very smart. And um, he just has a way of presenting new ideas and, 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 and new points of view to people in, in a very unique way. And so we started doing it. The first episode was me, uh, Andrew, and our guest was my uh, friend, my, my late great friend, Jasmine Waters. And it was called the Star Shame, the Star Shame Enterprise episode. Mm -hmm. And, you know, honestly, I didn't even think that uh, people would care. Honestly, I was, mm -hmm. I was, just, I was just so used to having a, 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 a mind state of you got to be on the radio in order for people to hear you. Like, you're not going to create your own platform and put this out to the world and people are going to listen. And then like the first episode, we did like 56,000 listens. Wow. And so when I saw that, I was like, oh, wow. So it was just up from there. And we've been doing it for nine years. And, you know, now I think we're at like 300,000 downloads an episode. Like we do like over 2 million, you know, listens a month. We record once a week. It's one of the biggest podcasts in the world. And, you know, Andrew has gone on to just like, blow up and become one of the biggest comedians in the world like he sold out radio city music hall twice twice in a twice in one day this year you mm. know you know as you see he, he had a uh netflix special that he did but then he did another special that was supposed to come out this year and the screaming service that that was going to put it out wanted him to cut like five or six jokes because they, they were offensive and um he said mm. no and he told him like yo let me buy back my special and they let him buy it back and he put it he put it out himself for fifteen dollars a pop and quadrupled what he paid for it. You know? I love so, that. Yeah. So it's just like, man, you know, he's that's, that's my friend. I'm super proud of him. And you know, it's just it's just fun to be doing really dope stuff with your friends and just seeing all of us continue to grow and 
and, and evolve and elevate the way we are. I, I appreciate you saying that, especially uh, right now in my life. Um, and, you know, you mentioned something, you know, uh, working with your friend, especially on uh, your books um, and, you know, in those books, I, I believe that was around the time of the uh, nexus or the uh, the uh, evolution of, you know, your messaging where you started to focus a bit more on uh, mental health in the black community. And uh, there's a Yahoo report that says that you're going to be receiving an Emma L. Bowen humanitarian medal in New York City. Uh, so that is tied to your mental health advocacy work. So let's talk about what that means to you um, and what it feels like to be working in that space and be, being so groundbreaking in that space. Um, <clears throat> man, so I was just talking to my therapist about this yesterday. Um, and, and, the, and the reason I was talking to my therapist about this is because we were talking about, uh, we were talking about like self-worth and, um, you know, you know, just, just things that when you, when you have triggers, right? Like there's certain things that still trigger you. And my therapist gave me an exercise. He told me to do this every day. He said, uh, every day at the end of the day, ask yourself what good did I do today professionally, personally, and inspirationally? And uh, what did people hear come out of my mouth today that will inspire people that I will never meet? And the reason we started talking about that is because he was talking to me about all the work that I've done in this space and how I should give myself credit for it. And, you know, to me, I was like, man, but isn't that arrogant? You know, because he kept asking me, he kept asking me, like, um, do you think about the good that you do? Do you think about the good that you do for others? And I'm like, nah, not really, not really. Like, like, that's, not, like that's not something I'm sitting around thinking about. And he was like, you should. So that's why when you asked me that, I'm like, wow. That, that's, that takes me back to the conversation we was having yesterday. But um, for me, um, discussing what, I was, what I'm going through or what I've been going through, in regards to my mental health, it was more so a cry for help, you know, because that the, the first book, Black Privilege, man, it was me just telling my life, right? It's just me literally telling a story. Um, and I gave eight lessons in that book that I had learned in my life up to that point. And those lessons were based off things that I had been through. But all of that was just surface stuff. Because there were so many things that I had to relive in that book. And now when I go back and think about it, a lot of those things were triggering for me. They were things I had never unpacked. They were things that I had never even dealt with. They were things that, you know, I felt like I had suppressed and had numbed myself to. So when you put something like that out, man, you know, you do a lot of soul searching, like little things, like when you got to. When, when, when you're trying to figure out, well, damn, what, what were my parents doing before they, they were my parents? Like, oh, my parents had a life before they, you know, where my, where my actual parents are, you know, thinking about all of those times I had panic attacks. Like, even in the first book, I describe having a panic attack. And I talk about the first time I got diagnosed with having a panic attack, but I didn't even really go too deep in it, you know. Um, but when it came time for my second book, which actually was not planned at all, this is how you know God can attach you to things that are way bigger than you. When it came to my second book, it was not planned at all. My book agent was like, look, first book is killing. Like, you know, 
Been on the New York Times bestsellers list for 15 weeks. Simon & Shoots is ready to, to do another deal for a second book. It's, it's triple what your advance was the first time. And I'm like, whoa, what second book? I just gave y'all my life. I don't, have, <laughs> I don't have anything else. And at the time, I was so exhausted and emotionally and mentally and spiritually drained and empty because I had started therapy. And anybody that goes through that first year of therapy knows I don't think there's a greater time in your life where you're the, when, you're, when you're that confused. I was, I was the most confused I ever had been in my life after that first year of therapy, not because of what I was learning, but because of what I was unlearning. So all of the stuff that I was unlearning didn't have me approaching the world with the same confidence because now I'm, I'm approaching the world as, as Leonard and not the character that I created, Charlemagne. It's easy to show up as the character, but when you're scripting all of that stuff down and you got to show up as you know, Lenard, you like, man, who, well, really, for real, who am I? That was my thought process. But mm. I was, I was keeping a journal, you know, throughout all those therapy sessions. And I, I told my book agent that I'm like, well, you know, the only thing I've been doing is keeping a journal, you know, of, of everything that I've been unlearning, you know, uh, in therapy, and, you know, just how things make me feel like these events that I've been through in my life make me feel or where I'm at in my life right now, how that makes me, you know, feel. And, um, I let her read some of the pages and she was like, she just sold me like, yo, this could be really groundbreaking. You know, if you're willing to share this and you know, um, what I realized is that the things my therapist was telling me were for me and I weren't, I wasn't able to uh, translate that for other people. Mm -hmm. So what I, what we decided to do was me just share my experiences and talk about the things I was taking to my therapist and let my man, Dr. Ish major, uh, who's a therapist, let him do the clinical correlations to it. And so that's what I did. And we put that book out, shook one. And when the book went out, you know, I forgot I had to go promote it. And so when I would have to show up to the Dr. Oz's or the Dr. Phil's or the Tamron Hall's, whoever show it was, I would literally be having panic attacks because I'm being this vulnerable in front of the world. I'm having to answer these questions that I wrote about in this book in front of the world. And it was like, for me, it was, man, it was like a sink or swim thing, you know? And, and in the book, I talk about fear and how, you know, you face everything and rise or you fear everything and run. And so I just decided to face everything and just rise and just let everybody know what I was going through. And it started to resonate with, with so many people. And, you know, people started walking up to me in the street saying, hey, man, I started going to therapy because of you. Mm -hmm. People would reach out to me and be like, hey, my... My husband or my brother or my uncle started going to therapy because of you. And then other people started coming to me like, yo, I deal with anxiety. and I deal with bouts of depression. So everybody understood. I, I had a village. I realized that I had a village now. We, were, we, we all were a village that, you know, needed each other. Even, even with my father, like, you know, it started to give, help me. It helped me to give my father more grace. Because my father came to me that year. I put that book out. Say he read the book, and I had a, a cousin who had completed suicide that year. And my cousin used to work with my father a lot. And my father told me between my cousin completing suicide and him re reading my book, he decided to share with me that he tried to kill himself 30 years prior. And he was on 10 to 12 different medications throughout his life. And he was going to therapy two and three times a week. I never knew that. And then when I went to my mom and asked her, my mom was like, I just thought he was playing crazy to get a check because that's what they used to do in South Carolina. If you had some mental issues and they did all that for you and nothing could be corrected. They just started, they would just give you a check every month. My dad would get a wow. check for 30, 30 plus years, you know? So 
the, uh, to, to answer the question, it, it wasn't anything planned. It was literally just me crying out for help, I guess, in my own way and just telling my story and expressing my story because yeah. that was, that's what was on my heart and what was going, going on in my life. And yeah, now I'm, now I'm here as a mental health advocate. This concludes part one of our two-part episode with Charlemagne the God discussing his remarkable career in the entertainment industry, mental health in the black community, and his Comedy Central late night show, Hell of a Week. Be sure to check in tomorrow for part two. This is the Black Information Network Daily Podcast, and I'm your host, Ramses Ja. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in Coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.